I'm Sarah Gross. And I'm Sarah True. And you're listening to If We Were Riding. A triathlon-ish podcast. Grab your sock hats, fill your decanter. Friday's here. It's time for some banter. Tri-tips, life chat from two feisty pros, zoomies, arm hair, ebbs, and flows. Rides with influential women in sport. Voicemails from you, now it's in your court. Join in just to stalk raccoons. Do you like your Zwift caps and fear those loons? So unpad your bras and stop that hiding and find out what happens if we were riding. Hey everyone. So sad news. Sarah cannot be with us today. So I'm still mourning that one. But since it is this week and next week here at Feisty Media, we are doing our Fueled is Fast campaign. I just wanted to come on because I had sort of, I think Sarah and I had sort of planned to tell some of our personal stories about our fueling journey as elite athletes and some of the pressures that we've faced and some of the things that we've been told um, and kind of the reason why behind, for me in particular, why I feel like it's so important to get that message out that fueled is fast uh, for young athletes or for any active girl or woman. So I definitely wanted to take a minute here and tell that story anyway, despite the fact that Sarah cannot be with us. So for those who are new to the conversation, later we are going to be playing the episode of the Women's Performance Podcast that I recorded with Katie Schofield. And she's she goes over kind of all of the explanations of what uh, low energy availability is, what Red S is, and what eating disorders are. So that's going to be right here on this feed if you haven't listened to it already. So definitely stay here for that because it's an amazing conversation and Katie really knows her shit. But for now, I wanted to start with my own journey with fueling. So I think like as a teenager, I was not a teenage athlete per se. Like I wasn't one of those people that was plucked out of somewhere, um, like a swim club or something and told that I was going to be a great triathlete and put into a system. That was not me. I was a regular kid who loved soccer. I, I did get a lot of positive feedback about my sporting potential. I loved soccer when I was a kid. I played every single sport at school. Uh, and then we moved to the Middle East when I was actually 14 years old, which a lot of regular listeners will know. Um, and as a teenager, I did really feel. Oh, I should start before that. So right before we moved to the Middle East, I actually got mono, which I had to stay home from school for months. I was tired. I couldn't play sport. It kind of took away, probably took three months for me just sitting at home. And at that time, like I had not prior to that made any connection between activity and my body and what I ate in any way. Um, So in some ways, I'm kind of grateful for that period. I put on quite a bit of weight. And I started to see myself in the mirror and started to like make those connections like teenagers tend to do between what you're eating, how much exercise you're doing and, and how you look. So I definitely went through a a part of my teenage years after we moved to the Middle East with like in, in what would I would now call like disordered eating. So I definitely controlled my calories. I can remember trying to eat 1200 calories a day while spending like three hours in a day exercising. Um, That was also the time in my life when I took up running and swimming kind of on my own. And I also, in a positive sense, started to make the connections between uh, what, between exercise and how, and make, and, and how I felt mentally, like the fact that if I got up early and ran, I would feel good. So there was this like double edged learning from me as like a 14, 15, 16 year old that exercise could help with my mental health. I definitely took that in and that it was going to be a way to control my body weight and my size, which I definitely felt those pressures of trying to look lean. I was in a couple like randomly in a couple like modeling shows Again, Middle East, like you get thrown into all kinds of things that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise. They're just like, oh, white girl, put her in a modeling show. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then, and then I, I remember feeling like self con, like for the first time feeling self conscious about my body or feeling too big to be a quote unquote model, even though I wasn't a real model. 
So some of this I wrote down just so everyone knows. And so if I sound like I'm reading, I just wanted to make sure that I got kind of some of the words right here around the next part of the story. So as, you know, and then I went, I guess after I was a teen, and then I went to university. And again, I think I, I wasn't controlling my food quite as much. I had learned how to enjoy exercise. You know, there was generally, I had a healthy sense of, of myself. And then as an endurance athlete, the pressures are different. So I just wanted to create a delineation between like the decisions I was making as a teenage girl in terms of the pressures I felt to look a certain way. And then the pressure that I, the types of pressures or the things that we hear from coaches as an elite athlete, which are kind of different. So as an endurance athlete, right, the pressure to be lean and as light as possible is real. Um, and the reason for that is like, it's not just about cultural norms about how athletes look or how athletes are perceived or are supposed to look, but it's actually because of physics, right? So like we know that it's true that it takes more energy to move a heavier object over a distance than a lighter one. And so when you're going a long way, like say in a triathlon, <laughs> that's like there is a certain there is a certain extent to which it's true. It's a, it's a fact of physics that it's going to take less power. It's like what Katie talks about later, later in the power to weight ratio. Like we talk about that stuff all the time in terms of performance. And it's actually an important performance conversation, right? And there's one, instead of focusing on increasing our power, sometimes on the bike, we would focus on making ourselves lighter. Uh, and so coach after coach during my athletic career as an elite athlete would Talk about that and remind us about that. So what we're now realizing and what was forgotten in that conversation about the power to weight ratio and a, a lighter mass moving across time in the physical sense, that what, what we forgot is that the human body is a complex system, right? So I think we, we held the assumption, well, I know, we held this assumption that if we ate less food, i.e. took in less energy than our bodies needed, that the extra energy needed you know, for our body's functions, for our training, would automatically come from our fat stores. And somehow, presto, then we're leaner and lighter and faster. But now we know better. So while sometimes, if, we, if we're under eating or not giving ourselves enough energy to sustain both our lives as human organisms and our training, then the extra energy needed sometimes comes from fat stores, but more often than not, it comes from basically one of our body's other systems just ceasing to work properly, right? So that's like our hormones, our gut function, our ability to sleep, our ability to think without brain fog. All of those things stop functioning well, right? It's not just like a straight up, if you deprive yourself, you lose weight. The equation actually doesn't work. But for whatever reason, for years and years, we seem to run under this assumption that the equation, that that equation did work. We were told calories in equals calories out, et cetera, et cetera. So as an athlete, I once had a coach assume that I was binging and purging because I wasn't as lean as he thought I should be based on my training. Another coach assumed I was like binge eating in private for some reason for the same thing that he, that for I was carrying a couple extra pounds that he didn't think I should have on my body based on my training. And he actually said to me, it's simple math, Sarah, calories in, calories out. But the fact was that I was doing neither of those things and that what I wanted was to perform my best in my sport. Like, so what I was obsessed with was improving and being better. At one stage before I learned I was celiac, I tried to express to a coach that something felt wrong, you know, I, that I sometimes I ate a lot. At this point, I was quite far down the track in my career, so I had a lot of experience with my own body and how it responded. And sometimes I felt like I ate a lot, but I was lean, and other times I felt like I was depriving, depriving myself and, and held on to extra weight, quote unquote. I, I, I'm questioning my own phraseology there, but for lack of better words. Um, and within a window of about five pounds or so-ish, I seemed to like gain or lose weight without rhyme or reason. And I tried to express to this coach that I felt like something was wrong. And as I like think back to that moment, and I'm not someone who like regrets a ton, right? But as I think back to that moment, if the co that coach had believed me when I tried to express that to him, I would have definitely won Iron Man sooner. 
So then after I found out I was celiac, that's when I won two Ironman races. Not because I was leaner, but because I was finally healthy. So the coaches, to be clear, the coaches who gave me all this, the bad advice, were some of the best coaches in the world, right? They just didn't know any better. No one did. On another occasion, after finding out I was celiac, uh, I was at dinner one night in Kona, and I was preparing for the race in Kona. And there were three male coaches at the dinner table. I think, oh, no, there was another, another athlete, another female athlete who wasn't racing and myself. And all three of the male coaches, these are like elite coaches, some of the best coaches in the world, laughed at me for ordering a gluten-free bun with my burger. And when I explained that I was celiac, one of them actually said, oh, yeah, Sarah, sure. It's the sweet gluten-free bun that will make you lean. And they all like kind of laughed. <laughs> so even if we leave his comment about leanness aside, um, the crazy part about that is that it was actually, in fact, that calorically dense gluten-free bun. And the accumulation of every gluten-free option I chose once I knew I was celiac, that would make the difference to my performance. And that were a big part of actually how I ended up winning two Ironmans at the age of 38. Okay. And last but not least, the last story I wanted to share, this one kind of like, it's actually hard for me to say out loud. It leaves like this lump in my throat. <laughs> um, but I had a coach that used to, he would say this often actually, that no one came out of Auschwitz fat. <laughs> right? Like it was basically, again, another argument against that, like that another argument for calories in equals calories out, like as if like had the size of the amount of fat that you're carrying as an elite athlete has entirely to do, 100% to do with what you're eating. And that it's, I can't even, sorry, my mind is just like blown repeating that comment. <laughs> even if we can res reserve judgment for a moment on the like insanity of bringing the horrors of the, <laughs> of, of the Second World War into a discussion about elite athleticism, even then I can't believe I didn't turn around and say, but no one in a start of state of starvation wins an Ironman either. But at that point in my career, so ingrained was the thought that we need to deprive ourselves in order to make quote unquote race weight that when I heard the comments about Auschwitz, instead of immediately dismissing it, I actually like sat and considered the merits of that argument. It's like, it's crazy town. <sighs> you know, it is kind of cathartic to tell all these stories, but I'm not really telling you this to like air out my dirty laundry about my terrible, <laughs> terrible coach stories, because I know that they meant well and they were trying to help me perform. Um, but I just wanted to underline the fact that like these are some of the best triathlon coaches in the world. They had coached Olympic world and Ironman champions and they didn't know what they were talking about. Like no one did. But now, now we know better. And I think at this time, it's our culture that's actually lagging behind. So like diet culture, the cult of thinness, it still looms large, right? And perhaps the most difficult thing of all is that we need to undo and reframe the thinking pattern, our own thinking patterns about what fast actually physically looks like. And me and my team here at Feisty, we're going to repeat this over and over again this week. But if you aren't fueled, you can't be fast. Sometimes you get away with one performance, but fueled actually is fast. So thank you all for taking a moment to listen to some of my stories. And now without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Katie Schofield, who um, has her PhD in exactly all of these things. She was also an elite cyclist on the New Zealand national team for many years. She suffered from low energy availability and red S. She lost her menstrual function for a year, got herself healthy came back, got back back onto the New Zealand national team, went to another world championships for track cycling, and then dedicated herself to a PhD to learn more about what had happened to her and other athletes. So excited to hear about Katie or from Katie in a moment. As a former pro triathlete who now does very amateur crossfitting for fun and is in perimenopause, meaning I can't count on my hormones to be consistent anymore, one of my main limitations is the speed at which I build muscle. 
It just doesn't come easily for me. I wanted to make sure I am actually getting the benefits of the little time I do have to work out. That's why Amino Co's Perform is the perfect product for me. It tastes good and I just sip on it before and during my workouts. The Amino Co's Perform formula has clean ingredients and is great for your everyday routine to help give your body the fuel it needs to perform at its best and recover faster and stronger from workouts. What's even better is that Amino Co's Perform was created by former Harvard professor and world-renowned clinical researcher Dr. Wolf. As a competitive athlete, Dr. Wolf has completed 62 marathons in under 2.30 whoa, and is still fueling his body with Perform at age 75. So if you are looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to boosting your peak athletic performance, I recommend you give Perform a try. It's scientifically three times more effective on a gram for gram basis than any other protein source. To try it yourself and get 30% off, Use the code RIDING, R-I-D-I-N-G, when you visit aminoco.com forward slash riding. That's A-M-I-N-O-C-O dot com forward slash riding. The fastest path to living healthier, longer starts inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. It was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. That's quite a list. Inside Tracker provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live healthier, longer. When I do my Inside Tracker tests, I always use the mobile blood draw service. It's amazing because you can enjoy a premium lab experience in the comfort of your own home or your office. All you have to do is book a time that suits your schedule and they will come to you. The scheduling is easy and they send you text alerts so you'll get appointment updates and notifications when your inside tracker health analysis and custom action plan are ready to view. It's great for busy people who want to save time. So if you want to try Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw service and find out what's going on inside your body for your health, go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com forward slash F-E-I-S-T-Y. Let's talk about Orca for a minute. In 2018, Orca approached me at the Ironman World Championships in Kona and said, hey, we love what you are doing and we want to support women better. So we are designing products specifically for women rather than just, you know, shrinking the men's products. And we want your help. That's me, Sarah and Feisty Media that they were asking for help from. Not only that, but I personally find that my Orca wetsuit is the best I've ever had for flexibility and buoyancy, and I definitely wish I had found it when I was racing pro. Fast forward four years, and Orca has launched their new triathlon wetsuits and other gear designed specifically for women. I'm so proud to have been part of this process. So you can order your very own wetsuit and other fab products for 15% off using the code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. That's Iron Women, the name of one of our amazing triathlon podcasts, Iron Women 1515 at orca.com. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Super cool to be here. Yeah, good to see you. So you're coming to us, just so I get this story right. You're in, you're, you you live in a van, as I understand. You're living van life, which is a dream for a lot of people, I think. Um, and you're somewhere in New Zealand. Am I right about that? Yeah, that's correct. I am in a van. I'm currently in Cambridge, New Zealand, which is a small country 
town, but it's actually growing. So it's in the kind of middle of the North Island, um, mm. to put it that into perspective. But yeah, van life's going well. I've been in it for just over a year now. So it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, for sure. And how do you, how often do you move around? Like how long have you been in Cambridge right now? Um, so it, it's, I've actually been in Cambridge. This will be my eighth year, but the last year I've been bouncing around um, from coast to coast, uh, going north and going south and just doing work on the road and coming back to Cambridge for a little bit of work that I had a prior uh, commitment to. So, yeah, haven't ventured much or as far as probably I should have, but, yeah, it's still still been fun. Cool. Well, that's exciting. Good for you. Um, good for you actually doing it. And I love it. Um, okay. I've, I want to start just to talk a little bit about your story because I know you were an elite cyclist, um, but I haven't, I don't think even I haven't heard the full story of sort of your career. And I know that you struggled a little bit with LEA and Red Ass. And so I'd just love to hear like, first of all, your experience as an athlete, um, how you, let's start from the beginning. Like you became an elite cyclist. Um, what was your process? I'll I'll go back a little bit in terms of I used to do track and field. That was like my bread and butter. And that's what I was aiming, you know, to go to a pinnacle events and race the hundred meters. I'm a sprinter, so don't ask me to do anything more than 200. That's no fun. But um, I, I broke my knee when I was 12 and that, that is an injury that, kind of plagues my whole you know athletic career and still to this day I have to manage that Mm -hmm. but with running obviously with the impact and the deacceleration it's required um, my knee just wasn't that happy and so my strength and conditioner at the time said hey Katie I think you should really try track cycling because you've got the power the training crossover is very similar um, he had connections with someone who was in the national squad and that guy then took me under his wing and taught me basically everything I, I knew, which was fantastic. Um, and to put that into kind of a timeline, um, that happened kind of midway through my university. So you kind of like early 20s, mid-20s, I started track cycling. <laughs> and so that's very late. Um, so having to learn the process of pedaling, you know, foreign concept, it seems simple, but it actually takes a couple of years to, to get the pedaling efficiency, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I finished my, my studies in Dunedin um, and then I decided to move two hours south uh, to the bottom of New Zealand, which is a pretty cold area. Um, but that at that time, that was the only indoor velodrome in New Zealand. And there was a nice little hub there that I joined and um, basically decided, right, well, I'll work, but I'll train like I'm a full-time athlete to try to get into the national squad. Mm-hmm. And then two years um, forward, got into the national squad which was great got to travel overseas and compete and then I was invited to come up to Cambridge where I am now um, because that's where there was the start of a centralized program where there's kick-ass facilities here there's a great velodrome here high performance center where you have access to gym and you have access to healthcare providers and it's such a good hub here um so yeah I I moved up in January um and then I guess my performances around that time were kind of plateauing Mm -hmm. and they were looking at my progression you know in the last six months to a year and I hadn't actually progressed so at that time they decided Katie we're not going to renew your contract so I was pretty much I was out of the New Zealand team which was gutting you know like you've spent two years to get in there and um, you race with the team for a couple years and then all of a sudden it's like nothing um so it was at that point in time where I was like 
okay, I'm either going to retire because I was quite an older athlete at that time, or is there something still left in me which I feel I haven't quite tapped into? And it was the latter. So I had to make some tough calls. Um, I had to create a whole new support network around me to find training facilities. Because you're not supported by the national team anymore, right? So you have to, you're like going it on your own, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Had to find extra work to help fund um, just my, my living. But it was also at that time when I took a step out of the environment, I was like, I know I should not be this tired and I know there's some health things that I need to get sorted because if I, I'm, I'm obviously not going well in my performance and I knew like a couple years earlier stuff was not right, but I just put it down to training. I was just training. I'm an elite athlete. I should be tired. I should be tired. Uh, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I was told about, you know, not having a menstrual cycle is okay because you're an athlete. So it was those things. And with my, my studies, I, I knew, I knew I should be having my, my period and my menstrual cycle. Um, but, you know, when you're in the environment and it's high pressure, you're competing all the time against your peers, you want to be onto it. You don't want to then go, oh, actually I really should address this problem because that's that's almost way harder to do than just to ignore it Mm -hmm. yeah so I guess if we can delve into that a little bit more if you want but basically what happened I took the year out of the high performance environment got some support um with the goal to get back into the team um and then I, I did it took me till the end of the year to show that I was healthy and that um, I was actually performing way better than what I had been, which was great, which got me back into the team. And then, yeah, stayed with the team for another year and a half before I retired. Right. And so at that, so your symptoms, as I'm understanding, are were mostly like fatigue and loss of period. So by the end of that year, once you realized, did you, did you get your period back in that time frame? Um, Yes and no. It it would come back mm-hmm. and then I would lose it again and then it would come back and I'd lose it again. Uh and, and I'd say like maybe so with when I was out of the team, that was 2014. We're now 2022. I would say only in the last year to year and a half, my cycle is now like bang on every month. Right. Interesting. Probably didn't help that when I finished retirement that I went and I got dared to do a body sculpting competition. It's <laughs> not a good idea. So <laughs> that also ruined my menstrual cycle. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> just layering another, it up. Another, yeah, another random fact. <laughs> okay. And so to go back, just a step here, just for our audience too, like, did you, would you have said that you were in a state of LEA and red S and, and what are those things and how are they different? Yes, a hundred percent. I was definitely in LEA, and I did have red S, and that's what was my diagnosis in 2014. And that's kind of when I learned about red S. So, um, what is red S? We're talking about relative energy deficiency in sport, or you might also hear it as relative energy deficiency syndrome. You could say red S or reds. It doesn't really matter. It's potato potato situation. But what RDS is, it's a syndrome that impairs the physiological function of a range of body systems. So, you know, I talked about menstrual cycles, so it can impact menstrual function. It can impact bone health. Um, It also impacts your metabolic and endocrine system. And immunity can be impaired. So there's a whole range of body systems that can be impacted by RDS. Mm-hmm. And red S is caused by low energy availability. And so I'll just delve into what low energy availability is. So that's when you have limited amount of energy available um, after exercise is accounted for for normal physiological functioning. So 
if anyone's heard me talk previously, I liken it to when your phone is on low battery. And when your phone's on low battery, it's like, oh gosh, I need to save as much energy as possible in the phone. So I might shut down apps. I might put it on flight mode to save the energy that's left over for the phone to do its, you know, its essential function of calling someone in an emergency. That's very similar to your body. So when you're not having enough energy on board, the body, uh, yeah, the body will shut down systems that are non-essential like your menstrual cycle like gut function um to save energy just to survive and you know you know breathe make your heart pump make your body move and it it's almost like it'll steal energy from a non-essential system so that you can exercise but actually it it's detrimental to your health Hopefully that's clear. That's very clear. Thank you. Yeah. Did you feel like there was pressure for you to like eat less for performance purposes or did you feel uh, social pressures around that? Or how do you, what do you think were the factors that went into like leading you to that place where you were not taking in enough energy? Yeah, I I think it was, it was very multifactorial and that's the thing with Redis, LEA, it's so complex and there's a lot of things that, that, going on um, not only just physically but like you say social pressures social media things like that for me it was myself I'm very much that type a personality perfectionist very numbers driven so when you see a number of power to weight that you want to be hitting 20 watts per kg you know I, I knew how to manipulate that it's like it makes sense to me I can get lighter um but but it's also that's where we can get into a dangerous point when you don't do it Mm -hmm. properly but also it was um just understanding how much energy I really needed for my training and it's almost with sprinting it can be quite hard to determine that because you might be at the track for three hours but you do four efforts and those efforts are maximal but they might only be for 20 seconds so it's kind of like well I've actually haven't done much but you really have because with sprinting it's not just the energy that you put in and expend sorry the energy that you expend when you're going hard there is also the energy that you expend after your effort is still quite high and I I think a lot of his power and sprint athletes maybe underestimate that um so yeah I am expending a lot of energy even though I'm not out for a consistent three-hour road ride Mm -hmm. right and it's interesting like one thing and and we'll talk about this more like throughout throughout the campaign but that like LEA can show up in a lot of different ways so I think sometimes we associate it with like someone having significant uh, mental health problems with with disordered eating and and eating disorders full-blown which can be the case right but sometimes it's not right? Like sometimes it's just someone trying to perform as an elite athlete and essentially doing what they're told to do um, by coaches and and other advisors. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it could be um, LEA created from intentional means. So like what you're talking with, you know, disordered eating behaviors or disordered eating where, you know, um, individuals are purposely not eating or they're using diuretics or they're purging things like that um whereas i see 90 or i would say 80 percent of the athletes that i work with um it's just that they're just unaware of how much food they actually need to eat um or or there are a few diet trends that they follow and then they end up falling into low energy availability and it, and I guess it's also important to raise that yes you might have um, a range of symptoms but everyone is going to vary on the scale of the severity of their symptoms so yes I lost my menstrual cycle um, 
but for some other people it might be might be totally fine but they might have really bad gut issues so it's that's what makes red ash really complex um really exciting for me from a research perspective but um i guess that's where the medical professionals are really you know clued up on how to diagnose this properly because it's it's not just a blood test that you need to look at you know Mm -hmm. Okay. So since you brought up your research, let's talk about that for a second. So you did, you did decide eventually to do a PhD in this area, right? What was your, and I know you took a multidisciplinary approach, uh, which I love looking at like the social, cultural, psychological pieces, as well as the physiology. So tell us about that project. Yeah. So um, yeah, the, my PhD came through my own personal experience. One, because Red S was so new when I was diagnosed with it. And I was like, cool, I'm going to do some reading about this. And and having the understanding of the female athlete triad where you have um, under-fueling, menstrual function and bone health, that's that's kind of where the, the main pillar lies with female athlete health. But what Red S does is expand those three pillars and adds those other body systems which can be impacted by low energy availability so I loved that framework because um, yes I I did have gut issues Um, bone health was fine but yeah I had menstrual function issues I had brain fog you know things like that so I was like oh this makes so much more sense to me and also what I really enjoyed about um the REDES framework was that included male athletes too. So I was like, this is great because we can't forget about the males. Um, so with having more reading and, and understanding of that, I really found a gap, um, I guess, a gap in terms of other people around me not really having an understanding of what, what was going on. So for me to go through that process and then explain what's happening and how I can actually get better, I was like, oh, more people need to know about this. But also what I found through all my reading was so much was was being done on the physical part of the body, so physiology, like what's happening in bloods, what's happening on the bone, what's happening with menstrual function. But there's this whole other aspect that I was really grappling with was the environment I was in, the pressures of myself, but also others, um, and how that played a massive part in how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And there was not much, well, no, I shouldn't say there was not much, but there was a lot of literature around pressures in sport on body image, Um, but none of them were dovetailing together. And that's where my PhD comes into fruition because I wanted to overlay the experiences of athletes with LEA and Red S with the whole physiological aspects to see if they connected or disconnected. Um, Yeah, so it was a big project. Um, I used a bunch of cyclists um, and I used male and female. um, But I guess my most of my my papers and stuff are on the the female athletes because um that was just more I guess the more stuff that came out of that yeah and so what were the things that you found like what would you say are the main learnings from your PhD or from research you've done since yeah it's probably not so much the the results but more how I went about it was very novel um so what did I learn that that LEA and Red S is way more complex than what I thought. <laughs> um, what I what I learned in terms of like data, we did see that um, there was over sixty percent of the athletes were in low energy availability that wow. I tested. And are these elite level? These are elite level cyclists that you're testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had over two thirds of them presenting with with LEA in some form mm-hmm. um, and then in terms of the the social psychological aspects um, just found like how 
a few of the athletes some of the messages that they were given when they were younger, even if it was before they were in the team or even if they were in a team. For example, someone saying, you know, they're at the dining hall of a competition and, you know, someone senior to them has gone, do you need that much food on your plate? Kind of questioning their food intake. And that really stuck with one of the athletes, you know. Um, And other comments from others about how they looked in skin suits, you know. And then they just feel uncomfortable to be in their skin suits because of someone that uh, one, it was just one comment that someone said that just triggered, you know, and I have similar things. I'm sure, I'm not sh- sure, Sarah, have you had similar comments here too that just kind of stick and you're like, gosh. Yeah. yeah. Especially if it plays off of something that you're already self-conscious about, you know, and exactly. I think even as like the way I look back on it is like, as, and I've just watched my daughter also go through puberty. Right. Okay. And like, we're, we go from these like tiny childish bodies, to these women's bodies very, very quickly. Right. And before you even realize like where you've put on weight and why, and what your body's doing, someone's making a comment you know, about like how much you've changed or you're getting big or your hips are big or something like this. Um, Or sometimes even the size of your breasts, which is just even another level of terrible. But (laughs) but like, I do remember comments um, because like, I'm like naturally, like I have like hit, like I carry weight on my butt and on my hips, you know? And I remember comments about that kind of thing. Like even like harmless people who are it's not harmless because I remember them, but like people who are not intending anything bad, you know, like my mom, like my mom, for example, you know, just like, oh, well, that's like, that's just your body. Like no conversation at all about puberty and what changed and why I'm experiencing my hips to be suddenly way bigger. <laughs> right? um, so I think, yeah, I just think to some extent, like I'm almost a little bit surprised that you're it only came out as 60% of the, of the cyclists that had symptoms of LEA. Like if I look back on my triathlon career, like at some point, you know, it's hard because sometimes you're not even trying, like sometimes you're not even trying to restrict your food. You're just like, um, you just can't eat enough and you don't understand what that looks like, what eating enough might look like. So I can think of, I think almost everyone I know would have had some point at which, they were not consuming enough calories to keep up with the training they were doing. Yeah. And I mean, that's, it's common. It, it does, it does happen, especially when you're in a high training block, but I guess with these athletes that went through my, my study, they were kind of like, Oh gosh, right. Okay. Now, now I can eat more. It was almost like gave them permission to eat more, you know, cause it's, um, when, when you look at the data and, and some of them can kind of see how far away they are from what they should be fueling with, it's kind of like a wake-up call. Um, but, you know, the everyday athlete doesn't have access to all the equipment and the testing, so it's, it's, um, it's a big education piece for sure. Yeah, how did you personally recover? I know I, I've talked to a couple of people for whom it was really difficult to actually sort of put on the weight they needed to to get their period back, or there's like this difficult in between time where you have to kind of force more calories in. Um, what was what was that whole process for you? Yeah, it, it was a challenging process. I will admit, um, I was fortunate that I surrounded myself with a really good support team one with an amazing endocrinologist so I was I was fortunate that I could have access to that um, because I understand not everyone can Um, I was working with a sports psych who continued to work through um, with me which was was really nice and uh, I would say those were the two main people that really helped me recover I would say it was more of a um, a mind shift um, for me. You know, going through the elite sport, always on performance, performance. At that time, we were kind of governed funding on our world ranking. So every year, it's kind of quite intense. So of, much pressure. Like I, I need to perform because I need to get a paycheck type mm-hmm. mentality. 
that's now changed here, which is great. It's a good move for New Zealand system. Um, but I had to change my mind to go, no, Katie, you need to get healthy first because only then will you be able to perform better. So it was a real, it was almost like a breakthrough moment. It was like, okay, okay. And then it was detailing, you know, because I'm a very detailed person and I like, like to have steps and goals. So it was like, okay, break that down. How do I get healthy? Well, one, I need to get my menstrual cycle back. Well, how do I do that? Well, let's start introducing more carbohydrates. Let's start introducing more energy throughout the day let's reduce your training load which for an athlete is quite hard to do is like yes. peel back the training peel it back and you're like no I need to train more but um working with a sports psych is like right let's just spend a month it's only a month it's not going to hurt you a month of you know better fueling reducing training load let the body recover um and that was that was hugely beneficial. I started sleeping a lot better. Um, my acne around my jawline cleared up because I had so much of a hormonal imbalance. I, my estrogen was like flatlined, and that's why I wasn't getting my menstrual cycle. So, um, yeah, the biggest part was fueling more, um, and that was a little bit of a of a barrier. We'll be honest, um, but. When you start to feel and see the gains of, yeah, you're actually feeling better. And it was almost like I was on rocket fuel because I was sleeping better, I was eating better. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm this happy person. Like, where was she, you know, for three years? Um, because of, I didn't, it kind of wasn't till I was out of everything. That I was like, man, I think I was really depressed that whole time. And I think because that was my normal. And then when it was like, boom, oh, there's Katie again. Oh, she's got her spark back. Oh, she's dancing around the living room again. What's this? So, um, I mean, it took time. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It took time. And, um, yeah, it, it was very courageous I look back on it and I'm very courageous to to do to step out of the program and still fight to get back into the program um and and that was my goal you know I want to go back to to a world champs and race in a world champ so um yeah and did you well I did yeah yeah so pretty much what would have been 15 months after my contract got stopped, I was racing the world champs again. Fantastic. That sounds like a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah. And I take that to the support group that I had um, for sure, for sure. Um, I also want to ask about some of the long-term effects of being like in a state of LEA. Um, I know that like this is something that it came up on a call the other day and I know that we don't often talk about, but but people can end up in the bigger picture with like bone density issues. What are the things that can, you know, if someone doesn't catch it quickly and, and ends up, you know, underfueled for years on years, what are some of the long-term effects? Yeah. So years on years, you, you see that, right? Like bone health is probably one that gets impacted the most. Uh, and we see this, in patients that suffer from anorexia. Um, so that's kind of the only long-term data you can really draw on. Interesting. There's no long-term data around like um, endocrine health or the other things that you mentioned. Well, not in, not in terms of, you know, as a lens of LEA, red S. Right, um, yeah. So that's where you kind of go to the, the literature because um, – anorexia has been around for a very long time and that's at the very extreme end mm -hmm. I would say um so yeah we're talking about bone health when we're when we're under fueling um we might be suppressing hormones and those hormones are really valuable for 
maintaining and building bone. And our bone is always changing. It's, it's always breaking down and building back up. It's a living tissue. And so if we're not fueling enough, then that bone is not going to be building up. It's just going to keep breaking down. And so that's when we see uh, individuals that will have poor bone density. And, you know, I've seen athletes who are in their 20s and they have the bone health of someone who's in their 80s mm. because they're not feeling enough. And that does depend on the sport too. So if you're in sports like cycling, which is non-weight bearing, they're more at risk of having low bones because they don't have that constant impact like, like that you do. And bone responds to impact and stress. So it will get stronger with impact and stress. So that's where runners can fall into the category of having repeated stress fractures, but they might be borderline on poor, um, having poor bone health because they have that repetitive impact, but it will play up. It will catch up to them, sorry. And, right. you know, under fueling, well, soon you'll keep having stress fractures and then maybe a bone break and then it's like, gosh, you've got poor bone health. Um so that's probably the, the biggest the biggest one um, that will play out chronically. Um, there, it's not well researched or out there from from my understanding, but you know a, a medical doctor and reproductive might be able to answer this better. But I've just heard of accounts where female athletes have struggled to get pregnant um and it's not until they put on more body mass or body fat to uh, to allow pregnancy to happen um so that could be a long-term consequence but you know i think what is really really exciting is that you know lea and redis can be reversed Mm -hmm. There might be some long-term health complications that you still might be struggling with, but for majority of people, you can recover from it. It's just having more of an understanding of how to feel your training, how do you feel being healthy, um, working with a registered sports nutritionist or dietitian, getting bloods done regularly and make sure everything's ticking along um if you do have barriers to food or body image and it's like talking to people about that and normalizing it and just getting more of an understanding of what are triggers is it stress um you know is it looking on social media no i like young girls growing up today gosh phones it's it's challenging and i'm sure you've come through that yourself sarah yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. Yeah. With my daughter, it's interesting because she's, um, it's like a different, it's almost a different generation because she has access all the time. Right. So she also has access to this conversation. Right. Sure. About like, so I find that very interesting is that like, as much as she sees something about as much as she would see, say images of, of women in a sort of like in a perfectionist way. Right. Mm -hmm. She also sees like the conversation about how women are portrayed happening on yeah. the internet right That's so like, it's kind of interesting so she'll she'll say oh I I saw something she said this to me a couple months ago I saw something that um I read something about how women are sometimes valued I, I, now I'm putting words in her mouth because this is not how she would have said it because she's 11 but she's like the women are valued in our culture based on how they look do you think that that's true right? Like, so she was putting it back to me. Like she had seen this thing and she was kind of taken aback by it. Like, am I valued on how I look? So we were able to have that whole conversation, mm. right? Oh, Which that. is interesting because she's getting like the layers of the conversation because she has like almost so much, like so much access to the internet, you know? Um, so there's good and bad to that. Like I think with, with her generation. Um, and I love that she still brings me those kinds of conversations. You know? Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, and you work with clients now, am I right? Like, how do you work with people? Yeah, um, I, I'm used, I am all online. Um, that's the way of, of it now. Um, yeah, so mostly, you know, people just find me on Instagram 
of all places or a word of mouth and just say, hey, I might be struggling with, you know, um, being really tired or finding that they just lose appetite before or after trainings and know that they need to be feeling better. So they'll come to me and I'll just work with them on a few key areas with their goals and get them on their way. So, yeah. It's, it's mainly nutrition. I do have a background in exercise science and physiology. So um, have helped a few athletes with programming for a few events, but most of my stuff is, yeah, sports nutrition. Right. And do you have some success stories to share? Success stories? Um, I guess I haven't had like anyone with severe LEA or, or red S, but I've had people that definitely are underfeeling after I talk to them and analyze foods and it's kind of some are a little bit fearful of carbohydrate intake um, we need carbohydrates it's so important not only for performance but for our our um, hormones um, and yeah I'll never forget as a uh, an athlete who was just like oh my gosh it's like when I have carbs when I train it's like I I can hit fifth gear it's so amazing and it's like I love those stories because it's it's um such a small tweak and a small change that can make a huge difference and that's probably majority of the work that I do is everyone's doing things quite well like they're eating the right foods, eating well. But what it is, it's the timing of food, when to have it, and what is best for your session is where I tweak. Um, and, yeah, makes makes a big difference. And, and most of it is on energy levels and the ability to actually push themselves harder in a training session and then with that comes adaptation and then with that comes improved performance so mm-hmm. kind of knock-on effect yeah right so if we have listeners who are who think they may be slightly under fueling you know like you said they may not be full-blown into lea um, but they might be what would be some of the symptoms they would look for that they need to perhaps eat more Um, carbohydrates yeah great question so one is fatigue like are you recovering from your training session so when I say recovering uh, you're waking up the next day feeling fine there's no doms or um, like sore muscles that in the training session itself if you've got repeated efforts it's like the fifth one um So you have five efforts, one and two are great. And then three is just not good. Fourth, you're tailing off and five, you're going, is there any point I should be doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't believe that a session should be like that. I think it should be consistent. And yes, you'll feel fatigue, but it shouldn't just be like a dramatic, like drop of, I've hit the wall. Um that's probably more of an in-session fueling thing that you could work on. Um, Sleep is really important. So I find some athletes that are under-fueling, they struggle to get to sleep, and that's a signal that, oh, I need more food. My brain is awake. I just, I need more food. Um, Or on the opposite, so this is where it makes it quite, quite challenging but or the opposite is where you just want to sleep all the time um I I would say you know like probably best to go to a doctor and just make sure bloods are fine that you don't have low iron or low b12 or something like that um uh what's what's some others oh if you if you're just getting like repeated sickness illness oh yeah is mm-hmm. another one good one mm-hmm. yeah I know like particularly now with COVID around um there's a lot of virus viral infections that you're more susceptible to mm-hmm. um I know it's particularly here in New Zealand there's another wave of viral infections going around that's not COVID related mm-hmm. um and then another is like repeated injuries like if it's every season or a couple you know you get injured a couple times in the season then maybe that's you know is that a fueling issue is that 
a training overload issue is probably you're not eating enough for the training that you've been given or that you're doing. Um, so those would be kind of the the main ones. Um, and or I'll actually add one more because I see it a lot in my clients where they'll have gut discomfort and then they'll decide to take out gluten or dairy because they believe that is the cause of their gut issues. Right. Um, it, it's probably more likely that your gut's not functioning optimally because you're not having enough fuel on board to help mend the gut and make the gut function like it should. And it's it's probably not a case of removing those items. It's a case of actually let's fix the gut first and then and then we'll reintroduce things. Yeah. So I rambled a whole lot there. No, those but, are um, all great. And and really as far as solutions, like you're just I mean, we're talking about talking about fueling a bit more, you know, for someone who's maybe feeling like a low grade, some of the things you just mentioned. You know, that might be you tell me, but I'm thinking that might be as simple as like sports drink during your workout. If you don't take one or eating within your 15 minute recovery window, a couple hundred calories, like, is that the kind of thing that just can like bump you, bump you up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is fasted morning training sessions. That is rife around all the athletes I talk to. Um, let's add a snack in before a morning workout <laughs> that is yeah. fantastic right yeah. um you know especially females we need um to break that fast um we don't do well with fasting so mm-hmm. um yeah have a snack and and if you're these type of people that just can't eat in the morning i totally understand that have half a banana a couple bites of banana or you know three or four dates Put them, put them in your mouth while you're driving to your gym class or something, um, and then, and then having a good meal after your workouts. So I always try to educate my athletes. You know, if you're doing a session, have something before. If it's longer than an hour, then have a sports drink during or some solid food during, and then have a good meal after um, that has some good protein in it. And that way, you know, you're covering your training demands. Um, you can like get more nitty gritty and, and into it, but that's kind of the general rule of, you know, before and after is like a non-negotiable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I, I, I tell people, cause people ask me about this stuff, even though I'm not a trained expert, <laughs> but after all my 20 years of being a pro athlete, you know, um, I, I sometimes tell people, cause I, I live in a world now where I work out once per day, you know, most of my friends just like generally stay fit in some kind of way by doing an hour of something for me, that's usually CrossFit or running. Um, but if you're feeling like a slump, in the low afternoon or in the late afternoon or in the middle of the afternoon, I'm often like, listen, you're probably not eating enough like carbs right after your workout, right? It's like you might not be sleeping enough. There could be totally other reasons for that afternoon slump, but like part of me is just like, just try, just try eating yeah. a bit more, like somewhere around your workout time, um, get the right fuel in, like you said, have a proper meal and see if that like, cause I think that's a very everyday way that like, people will experience a little bit of an energy deficiency, right? Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, the the 3 p.m. slump or the 3 p.m. sugar crave, mm-hmm. that to me is more of a sign, oh, you haven't front-loaded enough earlier in the day. Mm. Um, and most of those is like from, come from those individuals that won't eat before a morning CrossFit session and then won't have anything till like lunchtime and then then they get to like four or five o'clock and they're like man I want the chips I want the chocolate I want the coffee yeah exactly I'm someone who struggles to eat to eat in the morning especially since I stopped doing elite sport because I'm not so hungry I'm not working out as much um and I just always carry candy with me <laughs> so that that's my solution it's very easy so that like if something if mid-workout like you said you know you're going through the intervals and like the fourth interval you're like I can you know then I I have like immediately immediate carbohydrate I could take if I if I need to to keep that energy more 
staple. You know, I know candy is probably not like the first go-to for everybody, but it definitely works for me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And usually um like having something liquid based is mm. something that you can get down you too. So that's where I guess a carbohydrate containing drink would be beneficial as well. Yeah, I also do that sometimes. We have a great sponsor called Prevenix and they like I use their sports drink um, quite a lot as well. Um, anyway, Katie, I know you said you had to go, so I won't keep you any longer, but thank you um, so much for all the great information, for telling your story um, and for the catch up. Thank you. Yeah, lovely to see you. And thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Enjoy that. Good chats. We could chat forever. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching.